Welcome to the Magellan Podcast. I'm David Ahern, editor of the Magellan Magazine. In this podcast, we follow up on an article in a recent issue of the Magellan, previewing a conference titled, It's Not Too Late, an ecumenical response to the Dato Sea. It was held at St. Clement's Retreat Centre in Geelong, New South Wales. One of the speakers was Dr. Ross Garno, adjunct professor in public policy and environment management at the Australian National University. This evening, uh, I'll, I'll speak for uh, half an hour or, or so, mostly about uh, the Laudato of Sea, the, the, the uh, encyclical itself, and uh, uh, with some commentary on uh, how that looks in terms of uh, uh, modern science and economics, uh, and uh, begin to introduce some issues that Australians need to think about in context of the encyclical. And I hope that in discussion, uh, a lot more uh, issues related to the Australian situation will uh, come out. I'm very glad, uh, Pat and Jackie, to have had this opportunity carefully to read again uh, the encyclical that I studied carefully when it first came out. Uh, uh, and uh, it's just as good, maybe even better on rereading. It's a, a remarkable text. It it bears close study. Uh, it, it's an authoritative treatment of the climate science, uh, and it's a, it contains a modern and sophisticated view uh, of the economic and social dimensions of the implications of uh, climate change and what we have to do to deal with it. Uh, there's a very important discussion of the interaction between our, our treatment of management of the environment uh, and uh, our social and economic systems. Uh, it carries a strong theme that we're not dealing with separate economic, political, uh, social, environmental and religious challenges. We, we, we have one integrated challenge uh, and uh, uh, it presents a way of looking at these great challenges facing us in an integrated way. It's a powerful appeal to all people, uh, not just to Catholics, not just to Christians, not just to people of faith. And this is one of the really important dimensions uh, of this story. It, it, the, the analysis of the encyclical uh, uh, leads us to the view that we, we face as, a, 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 as the whole of humanity uh, potentially catastrophic problems and the solution will only come through all of us uh, working together. Um, uh, the encyclical takes the view that people of goodwill will come to similar conclusions about the problems from a lot of different perspectives. Um, that there is a, a general ethic relevant to humanity, uh, which is not just Christian or not just religious, uh, but uh, uh, the, the encyclicals, are, uh, encyclicals as a whole and two of the chapters uh, 
uh, set out in some detail how this is a special message uh, for Christians, uh, for people who uh, profess to follow the teachings of Jesus Christ. Um, the, 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 the encyclical uh, contains six chapters. Uh, the, it, the beginning strongly focuses on the climate change challenge, but as I said, put in the context of uh, uh, the, the wider environmental challenge that we face, the challenge of looking out for country, that's chapter one. Uh, chapter two is the, the, the gospel of creation, a discussion of humans' responsibility for the stewardship of nature. Uh, chapter three is about the human roots of the ecological crisis, focusing particularly on how an excessive emphasis on individualism uh, is responsible for our ecological problems, but also our economic and political problems today. Uh, chapter four uh, focuses on uh, the, the need for an, uh, an integrated view of the environment, the economy, uh, society, uh, and introduces the principle of the common good, uh, the, the importance of acting in the common good and rising above narrow uh, sectional or individual interests. Uh, chapter five focuses on the approach to action, what we need to do about it and how this uh, has many dimensions, uh, all of which are going to be necessary if we're going to find a solution. There's an international dimension, a diplomatic dimension, there's a national policy dimension, there's a community and there's an individual moral uh, dimension. And the, the final chapter, chapter six, is about the particular role of uh, religious uh, perspectives and the role of spirituality in uh, coming to grips with the issues. So I'll just say briefly uh, a bit about uh, each chap chapter, but focus a little bit more on the first, on climate change. Uh, the, 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 this chapter says quite a few specific things, says them without equivocation, says them powerfully, uh, and everything that is said powerfully is scientifically correct. Uh, the, uh, the Pope uh, uh, drew upon the best of world uh, scientific advice. I know a friend of mine at the Potsdam Institute of Germany, uh, one of Europe's leading climate science, scientists, was called in to, uh, for discussions uh, with the Pope and his advisors in preparation of the encyclical, where the, uh, Francis set out to draw upon um, the very best of world scientific knowledge. As a result, you can rely upon the statements that are made uh, about climate change uh, in this document. And they are strong statements. In Australia, some of them are controversial statements. They're less controversial in Europe or Japan or China uh, or Korea or Latin America in countries in which uh, uh, science at the moment is treated with more respect than, uh, than in Australia and America. They're probably more controversial in Australia and America than in most places. 
And amongst the important statements uh, 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 is a statement that um, we are already seeing disturbing warming. Now that should be uncontroversial, but uh, but, it's, but a lot of Australians contest it. Uh, and the, uh, not just warming, but warming that is disrupting uh, a, a human life, disrupting uh, aspects of our environment. We're already seeing sea level rise. We're already seeing proliferation of extreme weather events, and this is being disruptive. Uh, the encyclical comments that at the heart of the problem of global warming is a model of development based on fossil fuels. Again, a completely uncontroversial statement <coughs> in, uh, in the science, uh, uh, but a, a controversial statement in Australia. Uh, the encyclical notes that uh, there are some special dangers here that uh, once warming goes beyond a certain point you can get negative feedbacks um, and uh, it mentions a number of those feedbacks that, that could lead to uh, a rapid progress towards catastrophic outcomes. Uh, the encyclical notes that the worst effects of climate change will be in developing countries, the poor people of the earth and and it notes that uh, within countries, a lot of the worst effects will be on poor people. It notes that the rich and the powerful can often insulate themselves, that they can make a nice garden in the middle of a crowded city, a cool, cool place, a green place, uh, 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 where they can take a personal refuge, but that's no refuge for, uh, for people as a whole. Uh, it, it notes that one di dimension of the disturbing reality that we can already see is that environmental degradation is leading to a refugee tragedy. He didn't go into details here, but we know that uh, uh, the refugee crisis from the Middle East, uh, from uh, uh, Syria, uh, is interrelated with an ecological crisis in those places. Uh, chapter 1 notes that uh, those with economic and political power are tending to mask the problem, uh, make, to make it harder to deal with the problem. Uh, and getting, they're getting in the way of what needs to be done. And what needs to be done is to drastically reduce emissions over the next few years. That I'm quoting from the encyclical there. Um, the, uh, Francis makes it clear that while he's focusing on climate change, we must see this as part of a more general environmental challenge. It's not just climate change, there are other d dimensions, and he mentions the problem of water uh, purity and water supply, uh, uh, w which is a big environmental problem related to climate change, but it has a life of its own, and and the the problem of damage to biodiversity it mentions a number of ways in which uh, uh, any human uh, is thoughtful about her or his uh, 
um, uh, surroundings will be concerned for biodiversity, but he notes the special uh, Christian responsibility to uh, look after all of God's creatures. Um, uh, there's a lot of emphasis on the problem of global inequality of income and wealth and how this is exacerbated by climate change. Um, and uh, in this context, he highlights that any solution needs to be a common solution in which all the countries of the earth participate, but one in which responsibility is differentiated. Uh, that. Uh, uh, people in poor countries should not be expected to do as much as early as people in rich countries. Um, uh, and then he comes back to the question of how special interests, uh, economic interests and powerful political interests uh, have often tended to trump the, the, uh, the common good uh, when we seek to deal with these problems. Uh, the encyclical notes that all people will end up having one fate uh, that uh, uh, everyone will be affected by bad outcomes. Uh, he says that the church need not uh, associate itself with any particular uh, policy or approach. Uh, the, con the concern of, of the church should be to make sure that we deal with the problem and then there can be debates about the particular ways in, in which you, you deal for it. Um, uh, the, uh, he notes that the, that the consequences of not dealing with the problem are catastrophic, that's the word that he uses, uh, and he says we've got ourselves into this position because of a loss of moral awareness. Chapter 2 deals with the gospel of creation uh, and uh, I found very interesting the discussion of how uh, 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 non-religious people and non-Christians have uh, reasons and, and can be expected to come to similar conclusions about the importance of care for the environment, uh, but Christians uh, have their additional and special reasons. Uh, for deep concern. Here he's put a fair bit of effort into uh, uh, making sure we understand uh, his perspective on the discussion in Genesis of, uh, uh, of how humans uh, have dominion over other life. And he uh, is quite clear in saying uh, that means not that you can treat other life as carelessly, treat it as you want to, treat it for your own selfish goods, uh, but you have a responsibility of stewardship that he, he invites us to interpret uh, that part of Genesis in that particular way. Um, uh, he gives a very big role for the, the church uh, in at this difficult time for the world in which we face huge problems, certainly of climate change and of the environment, but also of our economic and political systems, international relations, the church is important in helping man to protect 
uh, itself from self-destruction. Uh, he notes the, uh, uh, the, how the teachings of the church emphasize the dignity of each human, but also uh, each part of life. Uh, and he puts forward uh, a very clear and strong view of Jesus as uh, uh, egalitarian in his approach to relations amongst people. Uh, and he, he says that many of our problems of, of inequality in our society arise out of uh, a view that might is right. Um, very powerful point uh, is made that, uh, that the church has never accept, accepted uh, that private property rights uh, can, uh, can have sovereignty over the common good. Uh, and the principle of uh, private property has always been and must be subordinated uh, to uh, uh, a conception of the of private property being used for the common good. Um, and he strongly uh, uh, emphasizes the importance of recognizing the common good uh, in what we do. Uh, chapter 3 talks about the human roots of the ecological crisis. Uh, and I must say that, and I mentioned it briefly in my introduction of myself uh, um, after the Welcome to Country, uh, I must say this rang true uh, uh, for me after a lifetime studying um, uh, problems of global development. Um, the the uh, uh, many of the development problems of the world uh, cannot be be uh, solved uh, if we see every issue as something that can be solved through the assertion of the individual ego. Uh, it's only through getting the balance right between. Uh, the inevitable uh, assertion of private interests with respect for the common good, that you get good development outcomes, that you get political stability, that you get peace internationally, and that you get uh, a satisfactory environmental uh, outcome. Uh, this chapter is rather a strong warning, caution about how technology, while a great, great boon in what it allows us to do, uh, has tended to get out of control and lead us into places that, uh, that we haven't really thought about, uh, led us to, uh, uh, to, to do damage uh, to our society, to uh, our, our environment, that, that if we had been more thoughtful, we would have been more careful about. Uh, and he, he sees the, the problem of uh, technology as one of, of not being thoughtful about the, the consequences. Um, uh, it's the product of a one-dimensional paradigm uh, where the use of technology is driven narrowly by profit. Uh, and he adds that in, within this paradigm, uh, the interests of finance tend to overwhelm the real economy. Uh, 
in talking about the human roots of the ecological crisis, uh, he notes that we won't find a solution uh, that doesn't begin with each of us respecting each individual human and each living thing. Uh, and uh, once we start respecting each individual human and each living thing, then uh, that leads into respect uh, for uh, equity uh, in the society and economy and respect for the environment. Uh, in emphasizing the problem of individualism, uh, excessive focus on uh, the interests of the individual over the common good, he, uh, he, he notes that uh, th this goes closely uh, uh, that this is closely connected to the problem of putting our species, ex humans, exclusively at the centre of everything. Uh, and he attributes a wide range of problems of our contemporary society, including sexual exploitation of children, uh, down to excessive uh, assertion of individual interests, selfish interests over uh, the respect for others. Uh, he notes in this chapter that law is necessary uh, to get good outcomes, uh, but uh, it won't work in generating good outcomes unless, well, if the culture is corrupt, um, uh, 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 if we don't act with moral restraint, uh, then the law, uh, the law will not in itself generate good, um, the necessary good outcomes. Um, he affirms support for science and in that uh, for uh, technology and uh, for people who've been given uh, gifts of uh, great scientific talents for, for, for them to do their work, uh, but uh, points out the importance of thinking about uh, using wisely uh, the technological products of science. Um, chapter 4 is, is the chapter that lays out the concept of an integral ecology uh, about the problem of the environment arising out of the relationship between nature and social organization of humans. Uh, in the end, uh, there is one complex uh, social and environmental and economic crisis, not a lot of separate prices, crises, and there'll be one solution. Um, the management of the environment in a responsible way is an integral part of the development process. And uh, powerfully, he says, uh, uh, we can't dismiss doomsday outcomes. Uh, uh, doomsday is a possibility, uh, but uh, uh, he says that we have the opportunity to get it right, and in a couple of places he expresses some optimism that we will get it right, but the outcome depends on us. Uh, chapter 5 uh, is about lines of approach uh, and action, uh, and the, there's a big message up front of that chapter that um, uh, the... Uh, uh, economy that depends on technologies using fossil fuels uh, has, has to be replaced uh, progressively without delay. 
Um, he notes that international agreements on what on how to go about this are, are an important part of the overall solution, but are not yet strong enough. Uh, humanity could do better and has to do better. And here again, he comes to the concept of common and differentiated responsibilities. And the special, of course, the Pope doesn't talk especially about Australia in this, but there certainly is a special message for Australia. There's so many Australians who say, well, uh, why should we do anything? Uh, they're not doing much in China and India. Well, uh, when I did my report uh, 10, 10, 12 years ago for all the state governments and the federal government of Australia, Indian uh, carbon emissions per person were about two tons. Australian were about 27 tons. Australia was the highest in the developed world. Uh, uh, to to say that uh, we will go slow in reducing ours because India is not doing much to uh, uh, reduce its emissions is absurd. Uh, and the absurdity is underlined not with reference to Australia, but more generally by Francis saying that uh, uh, we, we have to uh, recognize that those countries that uh, are doing most to, to damage the environment now and have done most in the past to damage the, most, the environment the most have to do more. Uh, we all have to do something. It's a common responsibility, but there's a special responsibility on those that are doing most damage. And any Australian who's honest and looks at the facts recognises that we are the worst and uh, in the developed world and uh, uh, where the last few years we've been getting worse still when most countries have been getting better. Not getting better fast enough, but making some progress, we've actually gone backwards. That's the truth in the last half dozen years. Interestingly, for an economist, uh, Francis is negative about uh, use of carbon, uh, trading carbon credits, because he said they can be subject to speculation and, and uh, manipulation and can be seen as a license to pollute. If you buy credits, uh, you can, might see yourself as having a license to pollute. Well, I felt personally a bit sensitive about that because I recommended to the uh, uh, Australian government uh, uh, that we introduce a carbon trading scheme and uh, uh, I think while recognising that we need to take care to avoid some of the risks that uh, Francis referred to, uh, I think that if we do things right uh, we can make use of markets in this context uh, to get more powerful outcomes. But certainly we do have to be aware of the risks of manipulation uh, and of things going wrong. Um, uh, Francis in this chapter tells us we've got to be concerned with the distribution burden both of climate change and responding to climate change, uh, the distribution burden within countries and, and be aware that climate change within countries will have its most damaging effect on poor people. Uh, he notes that uh, even when uh, you've got good policy and law in in many countries, uh, corruption uh, is a constraint on how well the law works. I guess he's thinking mainly of developing countries uh, in that context, but as we know in Australia, uh, that, that is a problem here as well. Uh, uh, the, 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 there's a, 
um, the theme of the markets alone not being able to safeguard the environment comes back on several occasions. Um, uh, and he makes a general philosophical point that, uh, uh, that that the values that are necessary for our society to work, for development to work, uh, for relations among states uh, to work, and for management of the environment to work, all have a social origin. Uh, uh, the, uh, and uh, the, the origin of the Christian ethic is one of those, but uh, uh, other value systems that can lead you to similar concern uh, for uh, environment, respect for uh, others, have social origins. Uh, and unless we're mindful of that social basis of social origins of the ethics, that are necessary to make society work, to make the economy work, uh, then we're going to trip ourselves up. The final chapter is more, more uh, uh, profoundly uh, theological than the rest. It's, uh, it's about ecological education and spirituality. Uh, it begins with a rather challenging comment that uh, uh, we should be careful about the deification of freedom and individual freedom manifested in the economy and in the deification of the market. But, but in other areas, it's deification of individual freedom. He comments that free, freedom is really uh, uh, for the minority who wield economic and financial power. Uh, and we, we need uh, self-awareness to to make freedom more generally available to people. So it's a pretty radical uh, doc uh, doctrine. Um, he notes that current global instability uh, and uncertainty, uh, and we can all think of all, all of that, those problems of the international society, um, the, the instability and uncertainty becomes a seedbed for, uh, for selfishness. Uh, it's hard for people to be generous when, when uh, the world seems to be falling apart around them. And, and so uh, uh, we, we've got to uh, step back and come to grips with some of the basic issues uh, to rebuild confidence uh, in, in societies so that uh, the best can come out of people. Um, uh, and that's another point that resonated particularly strongly with, uh, for me, and one that I actually made a lot of use of in um, my original report, that, uh, uh, that if, you, if society uh, it receives a big disruption, for example, from climate change, uh, from extreme weather events leading to catastrophic consequences, uh, then you will have powerful negative social and political consequences, uh, as Yeats wrote in the uh, in the Second Coming. Uh, uh, give society a big enough shock from any of these things, and things fall apart. Uh, he notes in this chapter that uh, humans are, are capable of terrible things but they're capable of rising above themselves for choosing again what is good, uh, for looking outside themselves uh, towards the other and for overcoming 
individualism. And a point of hope in the encyclical is he notes here and elsewhere that young people are better than people of my age. Uh, that uh, they uh, that in many of the moral issues that uh, uh, that we have to address, uh, young people are taking them more seriously uh, than older people, uh, and that's that's something I think is true. Um, so that's the uh, that's my view of the encyclical. Uh, just to uh, bring a few points together. Um, uh, that uh, uh, we, we have to get the balance right between individual assertion of individual interests and the common good. We've got to give enough emphasis to the common good for society to work. That's a necessary condition for solving our economic and our environmental problems, as well as our social and political problems. Uh, we, we need good policy and law uh, but law needs moral support. Uh, we need international cooperation, international action, but we won't get that uh, unless there's international justice concern for uh, international development. Uh, he says the excess of individualism is the root of, uh, of many contemporary social and economic problems. Uh, and uh, uh, he recognises that we've moved outside uh, the balance uh, uh, that, that gives a central position for, for the common good. We've moved too far outside that for the economy to work, society to work, uh, our political systems to work, and for us to be able to manage the environment. Uh, these, this is having disastrous consequences, uh, but, uh, uh, but, but he um, keeps coming back to the point that we could make it back. Uh, so uh, it's a radical document, uh, and so it's not at all surprising that not everyone loved it. Uh, it's a powerful document. Uh, uh, my my friends who know the know uh, the climate science authoritatively, and from whom I've learnt what I know about climate science, uh, make it clear that it is correct on the very powerful statements it makes about climate change. I would add that it's correct on the powerful statements about economic development, the economic organization, uh, and uh, a healthy uh, domestic and international political system. I hope you enjoyed this Magellan podcast. Many thanks to Ross Garno. There will be further podcasts in the not-too-distant future, so stay tuned. And remember, if you would like to subscribe to the Magellan magazine, please visit www.magellan.org.au.